Well, Andrew, uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. I know we've known each other for a long time, and uh, I just uh, really appreciate you being here on the journey. And um, I uh, have been uh, hosting this now for uh, for a few weeks and um, have an opportunity for some great guests. So I really look forward to having you on today. And um, so so as we uh, as you just maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, but before we kind of jump into that, like what does Andrew do when if he's not, you know, I know you're heavily involved with theater and 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 you're a dancer as well as instructor but what do you do for fun what what do you do to just have just have fun oh for fun um well i'm a i'm a huge game nerd as anyone who knows me well knows so i love days at home just gaming for hours on end if if i have those hours to give um I love movies, going to the movies with friends. Um, at a point in life where I don't have a lot of friends, sure. so so the few friends I do have, we sure. can pretty much do anything. Boring, hanging at the mall for however long. I, I'm weird that I can get a lot out of a little. Uh-huh. So okay. just simple stuff like that. People are like, oh, it's boring. I'll look forward to it. Sure, sure. Well, it is is interesting, isn't it, as we get older, that we go from high school, young adult years, where there's we're always around a bunch of people and things like that and then as we as we grow more into adulthood that, that our worlds in that way become maybe a little bit smaller a little mm-hmm. bit more select so it is, it is interesting how that is it is and, it's weird and so then that that quality of time is um you know so much more important mm-hmm. so so gaming i i didn't that i didn't know about you so so what kind of gaming do you do what's uh oh what don't i do um so it, Mad, so like Madden 2019. Um, no, mm, oh. don't look like a Madden person. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I'm no, wondering. <laughs> no, no, I I'm definitely an RPG person. Um, okay. If anyone knows what strategy RPGs are, those are my those are my niche. So RPG stands for role playing game. Oh, role playing game. Okay. Um, so they're the more like fantasy, hyper fantasy gotcha. those kind okay. of games. My okay. siblings and I have a. A yearly thing where at Christmas we'll buy each other video games and see who can buy a game that takes the longest for oh. someone to beat. Okay. They've never been able to find a game that takes me. Okay. Too long to to beat. Okay. Okay. Well, that may also have to do with uh, some of this diligence that you have. And, Maybe and the, there it and is. And this persistence. There so, it is. Yes. So you may yes. have some other family members that call that being stubborn, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, so tell us uh, a little bit about uh, about you. As I mentioned, that you know you you're co-owner of Gateway Performing Arts. Um, you've been a dancer and and a performer and an artist and a writer, and you've been doing this for an extended period of time. But how did you originally get into into the arts, and what what modality of arts was that? Um, the first area of arts that I got into is definitely singing. Uh, my mom was a, a professional singer from pretty much the time I was born, so it was something that... I was kind of born into, um, okay. you know, we don't necessarily take on all the traits of our parents, but that was definitely one gifting that, that I did get okay. from my mother was, was music and my father's an instrumentalist as well. So at, oh, I think I was seven, seven or eight when I auditioned for my first professional theater company. And that okay. was a company that my mom was with okay. and got in. So started theater really young, mm-hmm. um, 
fell in love with that definitely first. It was probably my first love in the arts was was theater and singing and um, grew up singing in church, obviously. Uh, hated piano. That always shocks people to know I hated piano when I was young. Okay. Mom got me into lessons young, Start literally hated it. Uh, it was like pulling teeth to get me to practice. I did not come back to it until college because you have to as a vocal major sure. and a, uh, in theater and ended up re-falling in love with it and music and that's kind of where the becoming a composer came in was okay. not till college sure um when going back to when you were younger and that you disliked it you hated piano what 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 do you think that was about what what was what what do you think that uh i think a lot of it had to do with growing up i was very add okay v- like very add um still obviously have it but um i mean it was it was really bad then and I think it was just the you have to sit down for a certain period of time and it's a very focused task and it's focused for your hands it's focused for your brain it's focused for your eyes all of that I think it was I think that was asking a little too much of me mm-hmm. at, at that point in time I I was a kid who was flipping off the couch and sure you know okay. could run up would literally crawl up the walls and run up the walls in the hallway like I was sure I was that kid so and I don't play an instrument but I would I would think with like many things uh, so I'm much more know a lot more about sports and sports development mm-hmm. and that but I would think from a, from learning how to play piano there's certain basic things that you have to fundamentally learn how to do mm-hmm. before you can then go to that next level and that next level being able to be creative or expressive you just have to learn the basics yep and and so that's what you're saying is that at that time period because of how uh the maturity level where you how your brain was processing information how your mind was processing things that that just was more of a turn off Mm -hmm. it was more of a chore than it was um an opportunity yep it moved too slow I mean, you know, again, thinking, singing, and um, I started gymnastics when I was about six. All of those things, theater, um, I started drawing very young, too. That, you get to go at your own pace, so you okay. do get to go fast, and okay. you can be spread out. And, you know, art, um, fine art as far as painting and drawing and that kind of stuff, you get to do it at your own tempo. So if I got bored, it was nothing to get up and go do something else and not okay. come back to it. Okay. Till another day. Okay. You know the reason why I think this is this piece right here is important because I know I remember being a parent uh, with with Caleb and Sierra being really young and wanting them you know wanting the best for them and wanting them to explore things and I remember Caleb uh, who doesn't have doesn't have attention deficit problems but I remember being introducing him to baseball early on because he. His cousin played baseball, so he thought he wanted to play baseball. And I remember him going in, and this is early grade school, and it was so much more standing in line and waiting. It drove him crazy. Yeah. And he came home from the first practice. He goes, I don't, I'm done. I don't want to do that again. And then it was another sport that he did. It was, it was a similar type of thing where it was so, um, because he was trying to teach the skill level of it, that it just wasn't a right fit be- where his development was. Mm. And then where with um, with wrestling and with with football because it was different, and it wasn't as much about those particular skill developments, and there could be more room for um, movement, yeah. and they wasn't standing in line. 
he was drawn to those. And so it sounds like it was similar to you with, with the arts. And I think that's important because so many times as parents, we want what's best for our kids. And we think we can see where they're going to go with this. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're right. Like in your case, it just was, you know, a couple of years later. Yep, maybe uh, too soon. Yep. <laughs> a couple of decades later, at least yeah. a decade later, right? And, um, and that, I think that's important to keep that in mind um, and just listening to your story that it was just too soon. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that it was the wrong. Right instrument uh or the uh, the wrong modality but it was just too soon and um and you had to get um more of intrigued by the the bug of theater and and the singing specifically yeah so what was it like being on stage as a performer and and what it what was it about that that um you enjoyed so much early on and um and then Maybe even as you went into young adulthood. I think not much has changed from okay. from what it was when I was young to what it is now. It was, um, it was the place where Andrew was important. Okay. Being on stage. Okay. You know, audiences were looking at me, mm-hmm. and it wasn't in a at least from from me the great thing about being on stage is you you don't know what the audience is thinking so even if they are thinking negatively towards you you have no clue because mm. there's no actual interaction other than you know applauses and Laughter boos whatever, but yeah. how many people actually boo at theater right. anymore right. um so you know if they are judging you or judging your performance or whatever you don't know so you get okay. to walk away feeling like, well, oh, that was a great performance. Yeah. That was awesome. Did yeah. you hear that applause? Yes, I got the yeah. applause. Done. Yeah. You know, and as a kid, that was really important to me that I just got to be on stage. People were applauding me, so that meant people liked me. That mm. meant people um, approved of me mm-hmm. and, and my abilities and what I could do. And that built me up and allowed me to at least have a place where I could go and get built up, mm-hmm. even if I wasn't getting that, you know, in other areas of my life. Okay. It was, it, it really is a, I've called it a theater, a, a sanctuary and a shelter since, okay. since I was pretty young and, okay. and that's what it is. Okay. And so you kind of went there a little bit, right? So if, if, if theater was the sanctuary, then that almost implies that there was other places that were less than a sanctuary. Less than a sanctuary. <laughs> so, so uh, and, and you probably could come up with a, a, a more creative word for that. But uh, uh, what? So, kind of tell us a little bit about what that was. If, if, if theater was that sanctuary, where that safe place, where you got that um, affirmation um, for for what you were doing and who you were, um, what was going on in other time periods? And now we're we're talking late grade school, middle school, and high school. What what was going on in other places? Um, well, before the you know, grade school, middle school, and and all of that hit. My very first memory of life was being molested as a child. Mm. That, that is the very first memory that I have. Okay. No one should have that, is there? No. You know, very first no, memory ever. No. Um, but I was that young to where, you know, memories weren't that. Um, when I explain it to people, I explain it like a computer. You know, I'd already been built at the factory and shipped, but I hadn't been, the memory hadn't been turned on yet. Nothing right. had been saved yet. Yeah. So there there were no memories saved yet. And 
that was the thing that turned, you know, the memory bank on and that okay. kind of thing. And that how old were you? Um, five, six, somewhere okay. around there. Okay. So and you know, that's literally as far back as I can remember. That's, sure. that's, that's the first thing, and that sadly shaped much of my young life and um, from there around nine I knew um, that I liked boys which you know when you already grow up feeling like you're wrong and ruined and you grow up in really conservative areas where the thought of being gay is attacked and and I mean you're you're told very young that that's a wrong thing so that was already in my head so then on top of that you had that now Mm -hmm. and then it was shortly thereafter um round 11 when um I started being picked on and bullied by uh some boys at actually the um gymnastics center that I was training at okay and that's that that was the first instance in my life of bullying and it was three boys and started you know it started the whole boys will be boys you know whatever so that was the excuse that if if you told did you tell someone yep okay yep tried telling one coach and it was the whole you know that's just you know boys around your age you have to just let it be and blah 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 and, and it um got worse um just with those boys, it got Physical, worse. verbal, both? Verbal. It hadn't gotten physical um, with them. Um, as physical as they would get is they would follow me in the bathroom and kind of shake the stall while I was in there. So intimidation um, type Definitely stuff. the intimidation yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they used some really colorful language towards me in their bullying and again to hear that kind of stuff that young on top of again it was just adding layers on top of the feeling already that I was trash and that I was wrong and that just kind of started progressing and and becoming thicker and heavier and um you know by by 11 12 I'd been doing the theater um, the professional theater company for about three years already, three or four years. So it became that much more of an important okay. aspect of my life. Um, and I love gymnastics, and that was um, kind of an outlet for me too. Um, by that time, I had a coach who would then be my coach until I was almost 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, amazing man who really did think a lot of me. Mm-hmm. And so that was another place that I could um, go to to be important and special. Mm-hmm. Even from a young age, he he specifically kind of scouted me into his um, specific competitive teams and that that was some validation for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that was important, but the bullying that I hoped and thought would end there ended up then showing up at school by, at about 13, 14. So, so up until that point, you hadn't really, hadn't experienced the bullying at school, mm-hmm. in grade school, early middle school. It was just in this this window of time when you were involved with this this 
<clears throat> secondary sanctuary, mm-hmm. right, um, with the gymnastic, um, with the team. And, and I imagine that I know for me, as, again, with the sports, is that there's some huge benefits of competition. And, and it's le- I mean, I've come to realize this now. I definitely didn't realize it then. Um, but the outcome whatever place you get in gymnastics or whatever it may be is less important than what you get out of the preparation, what you get out of the mm-hmm. event, what you get out of what um, what you were able to push yourself through. Yep. Um, and I think to counterdict that piece, you know, whatever that story was that you were telling yourself about being trash and being less than, now if you could compete and, and, and perform at a level that, you know, it's called social learning. When we we look and see how are we doing compared to other people, and and obviously you're matching up to a level that um, you're excelling at it. Yeah. Right. And and so then after or, or a continuation of the bullying, different people, different different individuals. Now it's happening in middle school, so or or school, mm-hmm. and um, so it's like okay, it's not just unique to these these three boys or right. whatever. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about. What, what was different there? What Did something change with that going when it was started happening at school? Because obviously when you're at school, it's longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely more concentrated. <clears throat> um, it then became not only some of the boys my age, but older. Because okay. you're all at the same school at the same time, so a couple grades above. Um, pretty much it started for the same reasons. I was always really small um, and always have been more uh, effeminate so kind of an easy target you know for that kind of thing and you know when you're going to a school that is mostly again Christian and the more blind you know side of the, the judgmental side of the Christianity um, you know, because that's how their parents behave. Naturally, that's how those kids behave, and that's sure. kind of how they were. So, again, it started with the comments and the verbal and, and that kind of stuff, and then from there, it that was the first time that it, in my life it started becoming physical, and then, you know, getting pushed around here and there. Then it would be a, you know, shove into a wall or... Um, I was thrown down a hill at one point by a much larger boy um, down onto, it was a concrete um, walkway down at the bottom of this hill and and that's where I had been thrown down onto. Um, The worst though, probably the most like strong memory I have of the physical bullying in my brain was, uh, again, I... I was terrified to go to the bathroom because mm-hmm. that was the most unsafe place that I could be, mm-hmm. you know, because it was very easy to be followed into, mm-hmm. you know, a bathroom. And I have been on multiple occasions. Um, that was where the intimidation was happening. And that, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. because that started young, there was already a fear to, sure. you yeah. know, go to the bathroom yeah. at school. And uh, probably the worst point was, um, was in the stall because I... Um, I actually stopped using urinals at about 10, mm-hmm. 10 years old. I would always, still, I always go into a stall. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. It's just like a safety thing. Perceived safety, more safe. Yeah. 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 And um, 
there was one day where um, a couple of boys that followed me and I'd actually left class uh, in the middle of class to use the bathroom because mm-hmm. I would try not to use the bathroom as much as possible. During class, passing periods and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and it was during class I'd excuse myself thinking no one's going to be in there, whatever. Um, and there were a couple boys and um, they started doing the whole stall thing and whatever. And next thing I know, one of them reaches under the stall, grabs my ankles and pulls them out from underneath me and I'd fallen into mm. the toilet and hit my head. Um and so, you know, you're laying there on the floor of a bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, you really can't get too much more vulnerable and afraid and exposed than a moment like that at school where you should be safe, mm-hmm. you know, as a young person. Um, and it just kind of stayed pretty much in that in that place and in that mode till um, almost my senior year of high school. And on top of that, then started the, um, well, I should say continued, but it got more, again, saturated were the gay slurs and that kind of stuff, Mm. um, to which they could then add that the boys at the Gymnastics Academy didn't. um, Those students then started adding the um, hate and the, the, you know, shaming, the, the Christian shaming that, mm. you know, that God hated me and that, you know, okay. hell was coming and that okay. kind of stuff for me okay. on top. And again, when you grow up in church, because my dad's a pastor, um, I always had this close relationship with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, through high school, it was questioning, well, I love you, but apparently you don't love me. Mm-hmm. So that added a condemnation and shame aspect mm-hmm. to the bullying that um, doesn't always happen, you know, right. for people. So it wasn't just the now physical fear and the emotional fear. It was now the the spiritual fear, mm-hmm. you know, that... that Am I, if I die today, would I really go to hell just because of right. this one thing? You know, I think, just speaking to what you just said, I think, I know for me that was a struggle when, I, growing up, I always had a, 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 an understanding, feeling, a sense of God. Um, and so when I then, of course, then hear the Jesus story and, and then hear all the stories that go along with that, that are age appropriate when you're in, you know, early grade school or even before, um, it just okay it made sense i just mm-hmm. okay i i get it you know and and then it wasn't until later though it, it, well, that i started recognizing that religion had to do with people right. than trying to talk about this thing that i already was feeling and and so um so what i'm hearing you say and you correct me if if it doesn't fit but it was religious abuse mm-hmm. that was happening because it was people it wasn't necessarily from God that was doing it, but it was right. just people who said they were representing yep. God or Christianity or, or, or whatever in their own agendas, their own belief systems. But spiritually, you still, now you're in this, how do you differentiate? And, right. and um, you, you said something earlier, too, that I, I, I think it's important for people to, to know. I know, as I've learned about it, is... Why do we remember those type of details so vividly? Like mm-hmm. you know, your first memory being uh, sexually abused at, at four or five years old, 
And um, like you said before, there was things that happened in your life, but there was no, um, you know, like on a computer, there's a, 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 short, a, a shortcut, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think when we have emotional trauma, it, it causes us to have that uh, bookmark or that shortcut yeah. to, to that memory. And so, and, and then what feeds that is then the story that we tell ourselves. Yeah. You've said numerous times today that, you know, out of that, because this event happened, then I must be trash mm-hmm. or I must be less than. And so our, our physically our bodies heal you know, regardless of how long that abuse happened, if right. it was one time or if it was over an extended period of time. But emotionally, because we continue to tell the story to ourselves, and we don't have some kind of intervention that, that breaks that story up, um, I think that's why we keep going. It's natural and human for us to keep going back to that right. and then believing that message. Yep. And sometimes it's from the perpetrator. Um, sometimes it's from our own piecing two things together and well this must be the conclusion because right. if I if I if if I wasn't trash and this wouldn't have happened to me or, or whatever it was um, but it also is the beginning of a falsehood of a lie um, because as you mentioned before you knew God before this right and, and of course afterwards um, so there there's this there's a contradiction there mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that message goes away just because right. this, this, there's contradicting peace. And then, you know, already thinking that, okay, okay this, is, this is different. Um, drawn, drawn to, attracted to, to boys. Okay, this is going to be, okay, this is different than what's on TV or, right. or whatever at the time. Right. Um, so with all this going on, t- tell us a little bit more about how did the arts, and I know, you know, I know that you're involved with a lot of different types of art. Right and um, you know from writing to performing to singing uh, composing, um, it's probably an unfair question to ask if you have a favorite. <laughs> but I'll ask: Do you have a favorite? Um, or is it a favorite for a time? <laughs> I think it's a I, I think it's a favorite for a time, or okay. I think it's a favorite depending on where I'm at emotionally. Okay. Because each each flavor of art color of art mm-hmm. um, that I do kind of feeds a different aspect of me. Okay. So, you know, depending on what kind of day I've had or week I've had or, or something, um, something will spark in my brain and go, I, I need to go sit at the piano and, and mm-hmm. compose something. I need to put this into, right. you know, music or I need to go draw something right now. Um, my brain has learned... Um, probably brain slash heart has has learned how to trigger what depending on what it needs mm-hmm. to where I don't even have to think about it mm-hmm. I'll just literally get this urge where I'm like I need a pencil and piece of paper right now I need to sketch something I just need to sketch something so, so similar to when you were little was okay I'm done with this now I gotta move on to something else yep. it's, it's still following that intuition that heart part regarding what you need at that time yep I'm going to go a little bit back to your story. So we got uh, the bullying's happening. It's it's definitely increased. It's intensified. We have the religious abuse happening um, as well um, because it sounds like you're going to a Christian private school, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's going on. So so we fast forward to uh, you graduate right from high school. What now? You're into adulthood. How 
this, this of course, just ends, right? Because everything just gets better oh, yeah, once you graduate, totally. right? Yeah, <laughs> so. all just fixed. <laughs> There's nothing. So, so what what happens as you're going into young adulthood, and and obviously it's different, right? And so you don't have to worry necessarily about going to the school bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what things? How is how or if does this continue? This perception um, continue into young adulthood. Um. I definitely still battled the perception uh, to an extent. Um, the bullying, again, like you said, you know, didn't continue at school because um, I then went to Rack Valley. Um, actually, did uh, Rack Valley my senior year as well, so I kind of got to start escaping from, you know, that that high school. Um, but it changed and transformed. Um, adults have a different way of bullying. You know, they have a different way of still making you feel less than, mm-hmm. um, less than them, less important than them, or less um, able. In the arts, it becomes you're less talented than them, or you're not talented enough for you know the career that you're going into or where you're at um so it shifted from bullying to more intimidation as i went into college and started in a a vocal performance department Um, there was definitely a sense from certain people that you know why are you here you're not good enough you're not of the caliber you're not that kind of thing and um, and then, and, and what would the what would be their I guess excuse of why that was that um, w- was that because of them assuming that you were homosexual is that or or was it because of some other what what would be the reason why the you picked up on that perception that they thought you weren't good enough or they may even said that um, I really don't think they needed a reason mm. you know um, thankfully in the Arts, once you get out of high school and, and middle school, um, it's far more accepting of, you know, different kinds of people. So whether you're mm. gay, straight, bisexual, whatever. Mm. Um, so that I actually started finding some real acceptance. Okay. Um, just in, you know, those circles. Um, but um, a, a lot of it when we like when uh, I talk to students now, um, other students who are dealing with that kind of intimidation from other people in the arts, it really does come down to an, uh, a jealousy thing or it can come down to they feel intimidated, they've kind of been the top dog in that area or whatever, uh, and someone okay. else comes in and other people are talking about them and okay. what potential they have. and. So they, they want to, you know, cut that down real fast before okay. you get to their level. Okay. Um, so I had to figure out how to battle through that. And thankfully, um, and this started in middle school and high school, I had specific teachers, um, and they were all arts teachers. Sure. I had a drawing teacher who really, really spoke into my life a lot in at that school where I was being so horribly bullied and that's where the love of then drawing came in was because of um, 
uh, two teachers. I only had one, though, for two semesters, and then I had one for many years. And those two women really, really spoke into me as an artist, whereas before I just kind of drew because I liked it. Mm-hmm. And and they spoke into me and said, no, you're, you're really gifted. It's not mm-hmm. just a talent that you have. This is a gift. Mm-hmm. And and you should really build into this. And being told that I had a gift was something new and different, that it wasn't just a talent that I have. Because in the arts, um, those are two words that are are thrown around simultaneously, you either have a talent or a gift. Mm -hmm. You know, a talent is just an ability that you have, whereas a gift is that, that something extra, that spark that separates, you know, the people who are good at what they do and the people who are great or excellent or have the potential to become excellent or great. Um, And oftentimes that can be used harmfully, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I was very lucky to have those teachers who spoke into me that I had a gift and, and an ability. And it was my junior year that our, uh, choral director who was actually my mom on staff there so she definitely still spoke into me um, musically but she brought in a choreographer for um, our musical my junior year who was one of the head choreographers and dance teachers at the Rockford Dance Company at that point in time Jill Beardsley and she came in to just work with us on one number one simple dance number and after that rehearsal it was just with me and one other gal she said, you know, I really think you could be a dancer. Mm. You, you, have, you, you have something in you, but mm. I really think you could be a dancer. And I never, ever had that spoken into me because up till then I was always a kid who had to stare at his feet while he did choreography because sure. I couldn't remember and mm-hmm. was a little clumsy. And, and to have this Rockford Dance Company teacher look at me and go, I think you could be a dancer. Mm-hmm sparked something new in me and and my senior year then I did a musical outside of my school and she just happened to be the choreographer um and she took me on as a private student she said nope you're gonna be a dancer we're gonna make you a dancer and that single woman again you know took one teacher Mm -hmm. to speak into me and and not care about any other aspect of me, but saw worth in me, and that sure. hooked me obviously as a di- into dance, but but also um, as a person, mm-hmm. you know, getting fed. So despite the bullying, despite the everything, I was very grateful that God put these specific people in my life, but that those people actually rose up and did that for me mm-hmm. you know it's very easy to when you get a gut instinct to, to speak into someone's life or go and talk to that person to say who am i to whatever or, right. you know, it's just a chance yeah. whatever it's just some weird feeling that i yeah. have it's probably nothing that those specific individuals did that and stepped up yeah. um they saved me yeah. they got me through middle school and high school yeah. and i really don't know without those specific people um if I would have gotten through. Sure. 
You know, it's interesting as you talk, and 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 at the very beginning when we started this podcast, I, uh, Dalton and I uh, uh, talked about the hero's journey, and and that's something that with Joseph Campbell I've been um, intrigued by and followed and uh, and prescribed to um, for extended years, and it's interesting as I'm listening to you talk, right? So you have this wound that happens that that had nothing to do with you, and the part that that carried on afterwards was the story that you continue to tell yourself because this wound happened mm-hmm. of being abused and and then and then coming to that place that that being gay wasn't about being broken it was just about how you were created and and and, and I imagine wrestling with that as well mm-hmm. um, interestingly enough because of your mom because of your family being musically inclined and always involved with that there was building in this foundational sanctuary um, so there's this light in the darkness all along, but there were some specific people in your life that intervened and counterdicted the original storyline that was yep. being told because of the abuse and the ones that you continue to follow and look for data to support. Um, that's what we do as humans, right. right? We look to support the belief that we already have. Yep. Um, and, and But they said, no, you have a gift. Um, gymnastics, art, later than dancing. And then the thing about dancing that seemed to be so important as I'm listening to you was because it was something that you didn't think would be in your right. your wheelhouse, some, uh, that, that you were going to be um, better than, you know, just maybe average at best, right? right. So um, now now the other part of is I know you, you do a lot about giving back. I mean, you're an instructor now yourself. You, you've directed, you've written. Um, you, have a, you have another um, musical coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Color of Hope. Colors of Hope. Yep. Colors of Hope. And, and so tell, tell us a little bit about Colors of Hope and um, about what it, what's the storyline about and why is this um, an important piece? Because this is coming up here soon. Um, Very soon. Uh, and, um, and so tell us a little bit about, because I know this is one of those ways, it's one of many ways um, that you give back and, and provide an opportunity for you to speak into someone else, um, the audience, but then also um, give back um, when it comes to individual performers. So tell us a little bit about um, Colors of Hope. Um, well, I technically started writing Colors of Hope at about 16 without knowing that I was writing it. Um, I never thought I would be a writer. That okay. was even more so than dance. That was the one gift I never thought I would have. Um, I was, uh, I am severely dyslexic. And so writing, grammar, spelling were my the worst mm-hmm. things for me in school. Um, so I was never told that I was a good writer, that I would have a gift for writing. It was never even on my radar. Um, But at 16, one of my very good friends in high school um, passed away from ovarian cancer. We went to school together. We'd known each other for um, quite a few years at school um, before she um, lost her life. And I wrote it was the first time I'd ever written anything out of emotion. Mm-hmm. I, when I got the news, I just went to my room and um, first cried for a long time. And then for some reason just felt like I needed to write out what I was feeling and I wrote um, 
the words to uh, a song that is still in the show called I Am Brave. And it was kind of just writing how Elizabeth lived, even though she was so young. She was um, two years older than I was. She lived so much more fully than most adults Mm -hmm. that I still know Mm -hmm. do. And so I just kind of wrote out these words and left it there, and I still have the original notebook that I wrote it in so long ago. Never thought anything of it, didn't touch it. Got to college and started taking music theory and fell in love with music and and the the beast that it was mm-hmm. and and found that I had an ability for it and again had a teacher pull me aside after a class and go, I think you could write. Mm-hmm. I think you could write music. You really, really, you grasp this. You have a, a, a vision for this. You have an ear for this. And he said, that's rare. There mm-hmm. aren't a lot of composers in the world. There are writers who we think of as writers who write, you know, the basic chord structure of a song mm-hmm. or write the lyrics for a strong song. But he said, there are very few composers. And um, so he really started working with me a lot on composing and ended up um, taking a lot of uh, symphony composing uh, classwork with him and fell in love with that. And by that time, I had lost um, two other very important people in my life to two different forms of cancer. And for each one of them, it was it was strange looking back, again, not thinking that I was a writer, um, that the day I found out each of them had passed, I'd done the same thing. I pulled out that same notebook and I'd, I'd written a series of lyrics um, for two new songs, completely different songs. Didn't know they were songs yet. They were mm-hmm. just words to me. Sure. And um, I started then after college experimenting with this idea of writing and those were some of the first lyrics that I had written that I went back to and thought maybe I could turn this into music and a song and next thing I knew I had written about seven songs now and started writing a story and decided to make good on something that uh, my dear friend Anne Humphreys before she passed uh, she was one of my art teachers um, asked me if one day I would write her story mm-hmm. She did not know I was a writer, didn't know that I had any desire to be a writer. I'd never given a hint that I wanted to be a writer. And it was like all of a sudden, it really was one of those movie moments where, you know, you have this like tunnel vision, all of a sudden you remember back to Mm -hmm. when you were young and, and all of these things that you missed that you didn't know were leading you to a certain thing. And it just hit me oh my God, I want to be a writer. Yeah. I think I can be a writer. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing. I started writing dialogue, never written a script in my entire life. And the first version was deplorable. It was mm-hmm. awful. But I wrote it and I couldn't let it go. And so mm-hmm. I kept writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it. And um, this is probably rewrite number 24. Okay. But um, I really, really finally hit a note with it And a lot of that has to do with kind of where I am in my life, that I am far more open now 
as a person and I am far more brave as a person and unafraid to just be me and unafraid to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, my past and things that I've gone through knowing now that it's not weakness and that it doesn't make me trash, that it actually makes me strong and capable and Mm -hmm. more capable of speaking into other people's lives so that hopefully they don't have to go as far as I did into that dark before they actually realize that there there is a light there because mm-hmm. um, it took me a very long time. Yeah. And so I wrote this story to honor her, um, to honor the other people that I've lost. I've lost over 11 people in my life to cancer, and um, it's their story. It's, it, it is sad, but it, it does have laughter and it does mm-hmm. have hope. And um, it focuses on five individuals who are all diagnosed with five different forms of cancer, five different um, points in their life. And it focuses on how one central character, Timothy Hopkins, who I wrote after um, Elizabeth Hopkins, my friend that I okay. lost in high school, how his journey to find hope specifically causes ripples that affect the people around him, the nurses and the doctors in positive and wonderful ways and um, his loved ones and the people around him that these other four patients after him that actually um, their stories happened in different timelines after him Mm -hmm. are still being affected by his ripples. And they in turn find hope and find light and laughter because of his journey. Um, so that's kind of my paying homage to the people in my life who were those lights who didn't even know they were being that. Right. And didn't even I didn't even know at that time that they were causing ripples that would end up later helping me find hope and light in myself mm-hmm. and to be able to move on from all of the damage that I'd gone through um, you know, up till 20, 21 years old, mm-hmm. then I finally got to a place where I was like, you know, what? I'm going to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I deserve help. I deserve mm-hmm. to get out of this. Mm-hmm. 21 years of telling yourself you're trash and nothing is mm-hmm. 21 years too long, right, right. you know? And so now like with this show and, um, the books that I write and the children's books that I write. And, uh, like we talked about my blog, mm-hmm. I purpose to, try to be that same kind of light that hopefully you know it might not change your world right now all of a sudden boom something i say just all the oh yeah that's Mm -hmm. it that's it everything's better but hopefully it'll you know stick a seed down in there that years later will help you get through Mm -hmm. something so that you don't get to that really dark place that i know very well and that Mm -hmm. no one should yeah. No one should get to. Yeah. You know, I think the, what you were just talking about, the idea of, you know, in your case, being sexually abused as a young, as a child, small child, and that in itself, that wound, that, that thing that happens, um, it, it, it's, that in itself is, is so detrimental. And, and then the, all the things, right, all the storylines that go afterwards, is the is the piece that we have to eventually come to we're going to wrestle with it one way or another mm-hmm. and 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 if we 
if we don't attack that dragon that that comes with the afterline of that story, it still chases us. Yep. No matter how far we push it down, and that is where there's opportunity for growth. Um, it's never about the abuse is to serve some purpose. It's that there is some purpose that may be in the abuse right. or, or that, that the cancer is going to cause something, you know, to, to happen. God gave you this cancer for right. this reason. No, it's, it's what God walks with you through that you can learn from right. having the cancer. Right. Um, and I think that's what I'm hearing you say that in this, in this uh, musical is that where they find hope, um, instead of struggling against the idea of why do I have cancer, it's, okay, I have cancer. Now what am I going to do with this? Right. And, and, it's, and it's that storyline of what they do with it mm-hmm. and all the hard, hard parts of that. Um, and, um, Andrew, I appreciate you being here. Um, as always, it's, it's great to have a conversation with you. It's amazing. I've known you for a long time. I've known a lot about your story. And just like today, um, there's stuff that I learned uh, that I didn't know. Uh, and so I really appreciate you. Um, how, if, if, someone wants to, if someone wants to go to this musical, um, Colors of Hope, uh, how do they do that? Where, when is it? Where is it at? And, and how do they get information? So, t- so tell, us a little bit of, tell us a little bit about that first. The show dates are um, March 22nd through the 24th, okay. so it is right around the corner. It is. Which is yep, really scary. Yep, yep. Um, we're performing at the Nordloff Center downtown. Okay, downtown um, Rockford. Yep, it is a fundraiser for St. Jude's, so okay. um, uh, a good chunk of the proceeds are going to St. Jude's. Okay. Um, so that you know can help give people a little more purpose to come and see it. Um, if you want information, you can check out Gateway Performing Arts Studio on Facebook. Okay. Um, or you can look me up on Facebook and, you know, you can message me. Or um, uh, if you find my blog, my contact information is there so they can message me on there and okay. I can give them information for Perfect. tickets and everything else too. Great. Well, Andrew, thank you for being here on the journey. And um, as always, as I mentioned before, I enjoy listening to you talk about and having conversations with you. I'd, I'd like to have you on again as we as you continue your process and, and learning and, um, and being the man that God created you to be. So uh, thank you again. Um, thank you for joining us today um, with this conversation on the journey and um, look forward to being with you next week. Thank you.